How great is God? Amen, right? How good is the fact that we have the faith in a great God, that He's still the commander, as we talked about last year, or last week, sorry, not last year, last week. He's still the commander, right? He's still in charge, no matter if pastor changes, different people move on, different leadership. Our leader isn't changed. We're still taking orders from God because the mission has not changed. It's really cool to hear that we... Um, our focus on Tuesday was great. It sounds like even though we might have been small in numbers, even though that was a lot of people, um, there was a, a large impact because we don't want to put God in a box. We're not going to think of a small God uh, like we talked about last last week. So uh, moving on, if you, uh, if you recall, we were speaking about faith last week. We're going to continue with that topic of the idea of what drives your faith and not be a backseat driver. So Go ahead and put your finger in Genesis chapter 16. We're going to go along. We're going to see another one of Abraham's blunders, as I call it, as we read more and learn more about Abraham and what he did. But first, I just want to say this. Our, when we have faith, hopefully you, you thought about that this week as you, you went through the week and, and you thought about how your faith could impact, um, how you could... We can have people see. All may see how great God is. The only way they can see it is if we're living our faith out. We talked about works being being driven from their faith. Not that works drive our faith, but people can see our faith through our works. So hopefully through this week as you live that out, people were able to see that. We're just saying we're just saying about that. So I challenge we're going to continue our challenge this week on the idea of faith. So we left off Abram was, chapter 12, we talked about Abram being in Egypt, the fact that he wasn't really supposed to go there, and he went there because the fear kind of drove him of the famine, and he went there, and he lied about Sarai being his wife, so he could gain riches and be treated well off. We saw that. We're going to see that carried on even in this story in Genesis chapter 16, where that mistake even still is resonating through his circumstances right now. So if you have your, your Bible there, turn to chapter 16 with me. We're going to read our scripture today before we, we're just going to jump right in. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. And she had, a, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sabram, or Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. And I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on contempt with me. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they may, cannot be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well shall be called Ber Leho Roi, as it lays between Kadesh and Ber. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Wow. It's a lot if you just roll right through it. There's way more there. It almost sounds like a modern-day soap opera in my mind. There's a lot of drama going on that you could really skip by um, if you don't pay attention and really kind of unpack that. So my goal is I'm going to try to stay just on this. I know we usually have supporting scriptures. I do have some there, but I'm, I'm hoping to stay focused on Genesis 16 and really unpack this and bring a little bit more out in which... Even when I've done this before, I kind of glance by some things. There's a lot of ideas here that we need to really grasp. But at the end of last week, we talked about opposition. We have opposition to who drives or controls our faith. And as we see here, we're going to look at the different types of opposition that we have in this story. We like, like I said last week, we like to be in control. Backseat driver, right? reaching over the steering wheel of the car of faith and trying to control it in the direction we want when sometimes things don't happen in the terms, our terms or our timing. This is a perfect story for that. As you see, there's a lot of different people trying to grab at the wheel. Let's look at the opposition found right off the bat. Sarai said to Abram, I don't have any children. God promised to make, me a, to make a great nation of you. He promised to give them children. It's been 10 years now. And there's no children. Think about that time. See, we don't have all this information in the Bible. We can think about how the uh, economy or uh, would you say like the way of life is back then. Women were looked upon if they were able to have children, especially bearing a son. That was a big deal back then. Right? Kings, lineages, heritages, not only could a wife be looked upon as a great wife if she bore a son, the fact that, you know, she couldn't have any children. What do you think the pressure Sarah was really under? Worldly mentality, right? She was thinking about what she couldn't do. She was not a good wife in her mind because she couldn't bear any children. Not only did she not give Abram an heir, she didn't even give him a child. A lot of pressure starts posing onto her emotional side, right? having her think about, mm, this isn't going my way, the way I want, the way the world wants me. That's the first little seed of doubt put in her mind. Here's the other piece. Did you catch that in verse 1? Where was Hagar from? Egypt. Last week, we learned about Abram's first blunder, Egypt. Right? He went to Egypt. Where do you think Hagar came along? She came from, remember, 
He told Sarah to lie about it's not his wife, so he wasn't get killed. Not only so he wouldn't get killed, so they would deal with him well. And they gave him male servants and female servants and male donkeys and female donkeys and camels. That's what we read last week. Most likely, Hagar was one of those female servants. I always think, think about this. Why Hagar? Because when they, when, they, when they went, when they were called to go in chapter 12, remember I told you, it's not like they packed a minivan with two or three people or a five-person family. They had a lot of people. Then they had Lot's family too, right? And all his servants, they had servants. Why was this servant chose to be the one which bears this child? Because there were, probably there was no connection. They just picked her up a few years ago in Egypt. She shouldn't even have been there. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more, but I just wanted you to start thinking about that. We have opposition in our loved ones. We all have family members. That's point one. We, have oppos- we find opposition. It's found in our loved ones. I know that might be a little hard to think about. I have family members that are not saved, and I have family members that claim the name of Christ. Everybody wants to share their opinion on things, especially in family. Everybody knows everyone's little dirty little secrets, and if you're struggling, especially when you have a crisis, everybody weighs in. Everybody has one of those crazy uncles or crazy aunts, right? They have opinions. Um, I have a few of those. And I'll be seeing them in a few hours because it's family reunion day. um, But we all have those people in our lives. Maybe they're friends, but they're loved ones. We, We do cherish their opinions, but if they're not of God, should we really be cherishing those opinions? They do weigh on us. They do have an influence. But how much influence should they really have? How much do we allow them to have? It's, it's in that crisis, that moment. See, I was thinking about it this way. I'm, I'm one of, and I wasn't always like this, but I'm one of the spiritually mature people in my family. Wasn't always like that, but now I am one of those. And I would say between me and my middle sister and my brother-in-law, we're pretty much the three most solid, not perfect, believers in our family, okay? Well, when you have a crisis in your family, it affects you too. And you all know, you, you've walked with me through some of these. My nephew died a couple years ago as he took his own life. It's coming up, the anniversary, around this time. When I'm affected by a crisis, when I'm going through that, depressed, struggling, right? Who's ministering to my family? Who's influencing, let's put it that way, who's influencing my family? See, it's in those moments our faith is really defined sometimes. And for my mother, when my nephew died, you know, I won't hash this whole story out, but you all know a lot of this. For my mother, her faith, maybe it wasn't defined, but it was maybe... Maybe it was clarified. Maybe she's always been struggling around this. We've had a lot of conversations around this. That's why I feel that I can share it. Um, my nephew passed away. took his own life. I had ministered him a few times. He never accepted Christ. Sad, but true. Most likely he's in hell. But my mother received influencing counsel from somebody else that said, oh, the God they know would never allow a young kid such a young, innocent age to be internal, separated from God. That's not the truth that I know in the Bible. But in that moment of crises, my mother was influenced. And that, that moment defined her faith. We still have debates. 
And she's even more strong now with that backing of that person to kind of argue with me about theology and where the scripture says. So even more, now her faith has been defined by that. I was thinking about that. Because as Abram and Sarai are going through this situation, who's influencing them? Who are they looking at? So we got to think about that as we go through these situations. See, this is the other reason why I tell us all the time, made this comment before. If we can't come into this house of worship and be honest with people as we walk around and shake hands, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. No, that's a lie. Odds, right? Most of us are, you know, maybe most of us are doing well, but there is probably most likely, I'm not ignorant enough to know that there's, we're, there's people in here right now hurting. We have to be real with each other. There's people in right now that have a cross to bear. We're just singing a song about God bearing his cross for us, bearing our cross for us. We have a cross to bear. Sarah, we're going to see Sarah's cross that she had to bear. But we have, somebody right here today might have a cross. And if they're bearing that and they're going through that, that weight, we don't know about how can we help them? How can we be of good encouragement? How can we be that influence that they might need? Because the head of the household might be struggling. I was struggling. And if you don't know that, you can't help me minister to my family or be an influence. Now, you guys really were. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for us to think in general terms, in my personal situation, you guys were there. Um, but going forward, that's what I'm just generalizing it. So you have opposition from loved ones who don't think the same way we do. That's the first point. Second point, or sub A, a vice not from above. Abraham listened to Sarah, Sarai. He listened to Sarai. I think of two other situations, and I'm not jumping on wives today. It just so happens to be these were wives in the other situations in the Bible, the same kind of uh, situation. You might immediately be there with me. Let's think of the other situation in Genesis as well. Adam and Eve. Eve was deceived by Satan, by the serpent, told Adam, and he listened. Just like Abram did. And the third one, it was a different outcome. How about Job? God, Satan came to God. Oh, your people are only faithful because you do well by them. Or they're good. You know, they have things. Did you consider my servant Job? He allowed him to afflict him. He took everything from Job. And what did Job's wife tell him to do? Curse God and die. And he didn't do it. That's a positive. He didn't do it. He didn't curse God and die. She, he was afflicted. Just like Sarah's affliction they're, they're going through. You're a leader, which unfortunately the husbands of the household, the leaders, they are the leader of the household and we will be judged accordingly by God the fact that he gave us that authority. We have leaders in the church. We have leaders in our government. We're going to look at that. They were ordained and put, orchestrated, put over us by God. They will be judged accordingly to that, um, that responsibility. The great power comes responsibility, right? And that was given to them. And we were put there. I have kids. I'm going to be held accountable for my children. It's a, it's a big responsibility. So if you're a leader, think of this militarily. I always do this a lot. The military leaders go, the generals are sitting around the war room, and as they're talking strategy, does the 
the scribe or the page or the infantry soldier, does he come into the war room and give his opinion on how they're going to do the battle and attack? No. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have any say. Orders don't flow upwards, they flow downwards. Even not in the military, even in jobs. I don't go to my boss and tell her what I think we should do. doesn't usually work well when you do that. So the generals are in the war room. They're figuring out what to do. As I said last week, God is our commander-in-chief. He's over us. We might have lost a, a, a human that's in charge, your leadership changes. Next man up. It is. It's next man up. But the person giving the orders has not been changed. It's God. So we have to have that faith. That has to drive our, our car. We have to listen to that. But we can't listen to people underneath us. Not saying that they don't have any good wisdom sometimes, but that's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. It's not meant to be, if you're the leader, you have to be thinking, you have to be getting your wisdom from above. I think we all know that. Um, if you think of who you have in your lives that share to you that you go, and if you're struggling, you go, and that's your confidence, a uh, person of confidence. We, we look at that in discipleship. You usually have somebody that is, I don't mean this to say age-wise, but it usually flows like that. The person who that you trust and you admire and they give you great wisdom is usually generally somebody older than you because they've lived it and they know from mistakes and they can help you and you trust them. But you should be doing that for somebody younger than you. I would say spiritually. Let's just keep it that way. Spiritually older, spiritually younger. That's the model we should follow. But we need to have advice from above. Going forward, we need to be on our knees. We need to be praying. Right now, like I said, there's people hurting. We need to be praying. As we're transitioning, as we're moving forward, we had a huge national night out. We need to be praying for the harvest. Because like last week, we don't know. That ministry is not over. Just because we physically are done with it, in that moment, we ministered in a moment. The Holy Spirit's still doing the ministry. We need to be on our knees. We need to be praying. We, it's not up to us. We just do. We go. We went. We did. But as I said, the ministry can continue for years on. We don't know if maybe later a person talks to somebody and that person says something that just connected and brought back the light bulb goes on. Oh, that guy I met in the parking lot, he said that too. Now you have two people saying the same thing. Sometimes that just, it clicks sometimes automatically. You know, and it just reinforces maybe something you said, and you were a stranger, and maybe somebody they knew, somebody at work who's also a Christian, they helped. So we have to have the vice can't be from, a, the vice has to be from above. I'm sorry, it can't be from not above. That's the point. Our second form of opposition, unfortunately, is found in ourselves. Like I alluded to, Abraham stepped in his own way. Hagar shouldn't even have been there. Like I said, if you see in verses 1 and 3, it says that she was an Egyptian. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bore him no children. She had a female servant from Egypt. You didn't catch that? That was the idea. Abraham is his own opposition here. So something he did 10 years ago is now causing a little bit of havoc. She shouldn't even have been there. And because he was selfish, pride of life, 
He wanted to be revered more. He wanted to have uh, grow in his uh, earthly treasures, right? Worldly thinking. Oh, so they will deal with me well. And I'll multiply things. Servants, male, females, animals, livestock, right? That was his motivation. His observation was, or his opposition was himself. He was in his own way. Let's think about Sarah's opposition of herself. Let's think of it from her perspective. Sarah wanted what? I said this a little earlier too. She wanted a children. She wanted that status in life of being a good wife. The measurement back then was the fact that she was able to bear children. That was a selfish motivation on her part. She was her own op- opposition in that, in that perspective. What that does is when we are trying to drive the car ourselves. Remember when I said backseat driver? She goes and she says in verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4, let's look at it again. I'm just going to focus on the one where she says that God didn't get, God kept from her. You caught that before. Behold, the Lord has prevented me. In verse 2 right there. I won't read it again. We already read it. But the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Really? He, he promised to her. See, it didn't happen in her time. It didn't happen in what she, her expectation was going to look like. God told them that he was going to give them, make them a great nation. Did he not? He did. But it didn't happen in her terms, her way. Do we do that? Yes, we do. We definitely do that. See, a situation could look bad. I gave you that example of the pastor who took on a church that wasn't his denomination, wasn't his theological backing, and not only did he step into that situation, the former pastor was going to be there in attendance week to week. I thought that was sounds horrible. But he, he bathed it in faith. He prayed and bathed it in faith. And he walked out of there with that faith feeling, that sense that this was by God and it was going to be good. See, Sarah didn't have that. She didn't walk away feeling that the Lord was going to cash in on that. She was going to cash in on his promise. So she took the wheel, jerked it over. Oh, I'm in control. I'm going to drive the car my way. Ten years later, still no children. Roughly about ten years. So she took control what happened was she was weakened by her focus. Her focus was on what she wanted. Her gain, her selfish ambition, her pride of life, her status. It weakened us. It weakens her. It weakened her. It weakens us. Let's look at, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one supporting scripture here. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Give you a second to reach there. Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Right? She wanted her pride of life. She wanted it her way. It's the worldly mentality. The world doesn't understand. Let somebody else call the shots. Because God is not their commander. The world doesn't get it. 
why you've got to be cautious about getting counsel from people who are of the world. You might love them dearly, but their information is being passed through a filter that's moving this way, not this way. Right? It's not coming down. That filter is from what other sinners think should happen. And we have to be careful about that as well. Because it will weaken us. And we will have the mentality of the world. And if we have the mentality of the world, we can't, we will not abide forever. Have to abide. We're in the Lord, we will abide forever. So, our opposition is in our loved ones. The opposition is in ourselves. We have opposition in our consequences. Like I already said once before, consequence from Abram's first blunder impacted his next blunder, right? Hagar shouldn't even have been there. And let's see the consequences from this. Let's read uh, 5 and 6 again. Abram said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. What? You told him to lay with Sarah, or Hagar. Now she's she's blame-shifting. Wait, this is what I wanted. Oh, but did you ever want something so bad that you did it in your way and then you didn't like the outcome? See, she didn't like the outcome because Hagar had contempt after the woke. Wouldn't you? Hagar is an Egyptian. She's not even an Israelite. Now she's being forced to give have a baby of an Israelite? Not really happy back then. That's not what they wanted. You know, she's being forced. Do you think she liked Abraham? They just picked her up a few years ago in this whole ordeal that gone wrong. She's being forced to be with Abraham. I don't get... I, I'm not a, a wife, so... Maybe if you guys out here... What in the world would ever cause a female to encourage her husband to have an affair? That's basically what it is. I mean, he married her, but you got to go pretty far down that rabbit hole, don't you? I mean, to encourage your husband to have relations with another person, to get your way. She thought she was going to have children through this lady. What, was she going to take them? I, that's what I'm guessing. Hagar was an Egyptian. She wasn't part of their original group that they pulled up tents and went. So she wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't with them. She probably wasn't family. Obviously she wasn't family, but I mean, they didn't have a connection. So she was the perfect choice to, I guess, have a kid and I'm going to take that kid. Right? Um, so she, I guess they were going to take that kid away and raise it up as their own. But that didn't, it didn't work. Consequences can have a lifetime of effect. My sub-point there in A. Lifetime of effect. I alluded to this last week. Let's look at Ishmael for a second. He's that lifetime of effect. Does anybody know who Ishmael is called to be? Or who his nickname is? He's the father of Muslims. Now, it's a little confusing. I tried to study it a little bit this week. It's very confusing on how this all works out. The short end of it is that Ishmael had 12 sons. And through his second son, and I won't even try to pronounce the name, bore, through his second son, the lineage was then Muhammad came through his second son's line. So the prophet Muhammad, the birth of Muslims, Islamic faith, came through Ishmael's second son's line. You know how Jesus, we, we had the lines of Jesus you know, God protected that lineage so Jesus would be born of a certain line. 
of David. Same idea, not protected by God, obviously, but the line of Muhammad came through Ishmael. So not all Arabs are Muslims, not all Muslims are Arabs, but look at the idea a little bit. Obviously, God promised this. If you read with me about him in verse 12, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against you and your hands against him, right? Wild donkey of a man. I don't think that means he's going to kick his back feet and rear up and Eeyore all over. That's not the idea. What it is is those 12 tribes of Ishmael, they were nomads. They were wild. They were not held to any distinct area of land. So to really gauge who they all became, it's really hard. They meshed in with lots of other people groups. The medium, the Mediaites, that was the primary group of people that they all kind of mushed in with. So, out of his lineage, you can see the, the actual promise that God made. His hands will be effect on them. It's still going today. The Muslims are still against Israelites for the battle of that land. His hand, their hands against him and his hands against them, right? It's still being done today. It's interesting to me to realize that because Hagar couldn't wait, per se, right? She kind of rushed into this. Let's look at it from Abram's perspective, though. Or what really is on Abram. He's a leader. Job didn't follow his wife. He didn't follow her ungodly counsel. She said, curse God and die. Abram still, it's not all Sarai's fault. I'm not, I'm not pushing the blame on her, uh, only on her. Abram still did it. He still chose to do that. He was given the promise by God, directly to him, I will make of you a great nation. He received the promise, but again, there's him trying to drive the car too. He didn't wait. He listened to Sarai. He shouldn't have done that, obviously. So the repercussions are still being felt today of Israelites today still feeling the repercussions of that mistake. Read with me Romans 13, 1 through 4. What do we need to do? When people are put over us, sometimes we have a choice in that. And sometimes we don't. People who have, like I said, we don't want to listen to um, leaders who are not, or we don't want to listen to ungodly counsel. Well, we, I, don't, I don't assume to know that I know of everyone's heart because the Bible doesn't tell us I know the status of everyone's heart. But we have leaders put over us by God, presidents, politicians, I don't know the status of their heart. Sometimes what I see coming from that, I question whether or not they're being led spiritually. I think many of us have done that, right? Um, let's look what our job, our role in this is to do. Romans 13, 1 through 4. For he is God's servant. I'm sorry. Let, it, let everybody be, let every person be subjected to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not 
a terror to the good conduct, but to the bad. Who you have no fear of the one who is in authority, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. So we are we are to follow the authority. No matter what, right? Early church, what were they facing? Caesar, Rome, people that were persecuting them, and they were told to follow the authority. How are they going to do that? How are we going to do that today? Because the church is starting to get persecuted a whole lot more um, than I ever remember. It's interesting, in youth, we watch God's Not Dead too. I don't know of this happening yet, but the pastors in there were told that they had to bring their sermons to that, that guy in the room. I guess they had to give them to the government in that movie. If you haven't seen God's Not Dead too, they had to bring their sermons, and pastors were all talking about, and one of the pastors decided not to do it. I don't, I don't know of any of that being done right now, but I don't, couldn't imagine that could not be far off from the horizon, right? Um, I think that's possible that that could happen. I pray that I have the strength, if I'm a pastor at that time, to do the right thing. And I don't even know exactly what that is, I'll be honest with you. So I would hope that I would be directed by the Lord at that moment. But how are we to, to deal with authorities and influences that are not from God? Faith. That's what we're talking about. Right? That's what we're talking about right now. What was the definition of faith from last week? Complete confidence in a person or thing. That's not on the notes today. I'm just recalling that from last week. Complete is the word. Remember, we talked about that. Complete Confidence. Well, who are we to have complete confidence in? Who's that person or thing? God. The commander that's still in charge. God. And his truth is that thing. And his word, he tells us in his word that we are to submit to the authorities. He has a plan. Do you have the faith and the patience and the patience to wait on the Lord? That's my challenge. Going forward, that's my challenge. I'm kind of speeding up my application piece. But that's my challenge for us walking out of here today. Do you have that? What's long-suffering? We sung, we sung a song about the cross, right? Long-suffering. Have the patience to bear that long-suffering. The anguish of... The anguish and the uh, cross that I alluded to of bearing... The cross, that could be the government, that could be our cross to bear, could be that fight that God caused. Maybe it is going to be, it's going to turn political and we're going to have to fight against that. The church hasn't, for us, the church hasn't had to do that yet. But back in olden times, it did. It had that battle. Some more historical historians in this church that we have studied that know that the early church had to, to fight you know, Catholicism fought against rule and how they how the church separation of church and state eventually happened, right? So that battle did go. We haven't had to deal with that too much. We've had the freedom 
to be able to say and practice our faith and come under the banner of God's name and, and not have to worry about that. But what happens if that control is taken from us? The early church had to deal with it. Some churches in China have to deal with it. A lot of churches in the Middle East, I met some of those kids. When I was over in um, Moldova, met kids from half the countries I can't pronounce. So anything ending in a stand, <laughs> I met kids from there. Uzbekistan, Pakistan, all those countries over there. I met foreign kids over that went to a college or a school over in Moldova um, that had that persecution. It was real. We haven't had to deal with that. Not at all. So I pray for all of us that we have that faith when we're called to have that faith. That's my challenge to us going forward. However, again, I'm not so ignorant to know or not so ignorant to think that not everybody here even has the, the root of, of the faith anyways. See, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, the person who first, for, first bared the cross for us, you can't have this faith if you haven't accepted Him for doing it first. We need to keep that mindset. We need to think that when we even in this building, in this room right now. For our job as Christians, our mission, our mission bathed in faith, right? Bathed in the truth that he gave us. We have to not be so ignorant to think that even people in our sphere of influence might not know him. So again, we need to be on our knees. We need to have, be in prayer. We need to pray that we... Because how Pastor Larry said this before. This, was, this always stuck with me. How are we going to affect change in the political realm? I just said that's a battle that's going to eventually come. How does that get... A, how do we swing it in our favor possibly? More people get saved, right? More Christians get saved. We have to be a bigger influence. We have to have a louder voice in the right way. <laughs> we have to have a louder voice... The bigger impact, we have to remember we have a big God, a big God. And we have to impact more people. And those people impact more people. Maybe one of them runs for president someday. And something changes. We don't know. Remember I said we can't put a measurement. We can't say what the success looks like. That's making a small God. We have to believe in the big God. We know the big G, right? Now, little G, big G, he's in control. We do the deed and he, he bears the fruit on that, not us. So we don't know what that looks like, but we just have to continue to do it in faith. That he's going to work this out. We don't have to worry about it, but we do have to be ready. And all the way we can be ready is to be on our knees, praying, and we have to be willing to go in faith. So... Maybe we don't even know where we're going like Abraham. Boom, just go. Pack up a couple thousand people, all your stuff, and go. What I really liked, that what Steve shared today, he didn't really focus on the numbers of what happened on National Night Out. I didn't hear much in numbers. I like that. What he focused on was everything everybody was doing. He just focused on what we can control. It's a great report when you hear of all the people involved because that's 
how God measures the success. Obedience. That's the measurement of success we should be focused on. Obedience. We were told to go. That's it. You go. We were put on our plate, national and out. You need to go. Maybe you're not gifted to paint a face, but paint a face. Right? It's really cool to hear Michaela back there painting rainbows. She did her best. That's awesome. That impact, who knows, she might have, maybe a little kid that she got to paint a rainbow on, on the face, a rainbow on someone's face. Maybe that was just the sweetest thing that, that meant a lot to that young kid for the next few days. Who knows that background of that kid? That might be the best thing that happened to that kid in the last month. Maybe they have an abusive family. Maybe they don't have food. Maybe they don't have, you know, they're not from a good situation. Again, we can't know those things. Maybe that was one of the biggest blessings, just the highlight of that person, that kid's week or month, maybe even year, is that she showed a little bit of love and servanthood and painted a rainbow on some kid's face. Because we can think that way when we put the big G in God out there. So when we start making it about ourselves and the details, we make it a little G. Remember I said last week, the devil is in the details. When we start trying to measure it that way, it's not going to work. When we start trying to do things the way Abraham did, well, Abram and Sarai, they took, they took matters into their own hand. And we're reaping the repercussions. The Israelites are still reaping the repercussions of that decision, of that mistake. We're still feeling the effects of that. Ishmael is still around, running around like a wild donkey. The nomads in the Middle East are still raging war. It says, his hand will be against them. I never knew that before, like, per se. I didn't know that's where all those guys came from, and that's why they have all these feuds. I didn't understand all that. I still don't know all of it. It doesn't matter. We were told that. So, I can't control that. Can you? No. What can I control? I can be obedient. In closing, what can I control? I can be obedient and do what I'm told to do. That's have faith. The faith that I accepted when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. When I put Him as Lord of my life, He is my commander and my chief. I am a soldier. I don't have say. I'm told to go. Pick up a gun and go. Pick up your weapon. Well, you have your weapon down there. I hope this is my weapon. I armed with the knowledge. That's it. I'm to go and I'm to share that knowledge. I can't put a I can't put a measurement on the impact of that. I have to be obedient. That's all I can do. When I feel a little weary, you know, when I get beat up a little bit, what can I do? I can pray. To be honest, I wish I had a little bit more in that capacity. I pray, I pray, and I, I read the book, Too Busy Not to Pray. I've read a lot of those books. I hear a lot of men above me say, you really got to learn how to get on your knees. I'll be honest, I don't know if I really, truly got down on my knees enough and pray sometimes. I pray a lot, but I don't know if I really have done that yet or really felt the impact of that. Um, I think I feel the impact when people are praying for me. 
when I alluded to those, some of those situations I've gone, I knew people were praying for me and my family. I knew that. But we have to do that. When we feel weary and we get beat up, we have to be submissive to the Lord. See, that's the thing. We struggle with submitting to authority because we think God, man's authority. We have to submit to God's authority. Fall on your knees, remember your place, and submit to His authority. You're not in control. You're not a backseat driver. We're not driving the car. He's driving the car. But you have to be in the car. So if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and made Him Lord of your life, you have to get in the car first. You have to do it. And if you don't know how to do that, there's people out there. I can think of John and Scott, our deacons, Bill, If you have never done that, those men are available. You can come talk to me. You saw John and Scott up here. You saw Steve up here. Come talk to them. They know. I know they know. If you haven't submitted to God's authority yet, you need to do that now. Get in the car. Pick up a rifle. Stand a post. But you have to become in the army first. You have to get in the car. I know I use all these illustrations, but that's how my mind works. Um, But you have to do that first. So pray with me as I close that we do that. That if you haven't done that, you do that now. And for us who have, and we're in the army, we're in the car, let's pray that as we leave today, we remember that challenge. He's in charge, not us. And we fully submit to His authority. And we walk in faith, not by sight. Going forward.